Welcome to Undesigned, the podcast where we deconstruct and demystify the world of UX. This is Ashima. And my name is Eva. We are your hosts with over 15 years of combined experience in human-centered design. We've completed three episodes of the past and we've been covering how we got into UX and a few things that I think people should keep in mind when they're transitioning or entering the field. So today we're going to be talking about once you're already in the field and when your job stresses you out, how do you deal with it and why does it happen? So I think we're at a time where everyone is working on their career, while working on their personal goals, while working on their relationships, while working on their physical health. And they're also working on unlearning wrong mindsets. And it's a very overwhelming time because we are now becoming so aware that there's so much going on in our minds. And that takes a toll on us when we're at our jobs, especially because that is a fast paced environment where you don't really get to unwind and take the time to process a lot of things. So we're going to be talking about how to deal with it and how we've dealt with it in the past. So there's different kinds of aspects to take a look at it. And the way that I've broken it down is if you are in a leadership or a management position, you've got different stressors. If you're a designer, you've got a different set of stressors. And if you're a freelancer, you have a completely different set of stressors. What about you, Hiba? Do you have any specific way of looking at this? That's actually a very interesting topic because it's something that is just a given of our lives these days. But for me, when it comes to stress, I feel like there is this huge distinction between healthy stress and not so healthy or like toxic stress. And we can get more into it when we get into that conversation. But stress is, as you mentioned, it's consistent throughout your career as a UX or someone in design leadership because of that growth. But also we can't deny that sometimes stress comes because of other factors within your job beyond what you actually do. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. So let's jump into as a design manager or if you're in a leadership position, I personally have felt a lot of stress when it comes to bridging the gap between management and the design team. And management could even include PMs at times because it's, let's face it, it's almost like a language barrier when you're talking to a PM, especially if you're in a smaller company where a lot of people are newly exposed to a process of designing or a lean process. And PMs like to jump on the gun and push you down a road that, and now this can happen that you have a great PM. And that's happened to me as well, that I've been in teams where there's project managers who fully understand the design process, but I've also been on teams that project managers side with the business team and they don't fully understand why sometimes design research is conducted. And for me, the way I've tackled that is to take a very realistic approach. 
And it's taken me a while to figure it out because it does happen, especially earlier on in your career, that you tend to vilify these kinds of folks. But what I've done is just to empathize, right? Now, this is taking forward what we've learned and applying it into actually empathizing with PMs. Now, they've been in a bunch of business classes. They've been in a bunch of business settings, and they tend to think very business-mindedly. So it really is just about communicating to them. And I've, in the past, just brought these people on board and conducted UX research methods with them. So participatory research, we've had the VP of digital come in and work with us so that he'd understand why we're doing certain research methods, why we're conducting methods that take so much time. So that's one way that I've dealt with it. Another thing that you want to keep in mind is that you want to find your ally. And that would be someone who's in upper management who understands your process. So you do want to find them, identify them earlier on so that you can seek their guidance when it really comes down to pushing back on business. Is there anything in particular, Ahiba, that you have dealt with in the past, any situation that comes to mind? Yeah, with the examples that you gave just earlier, the whole kind of interaction with the PMs or the business people or the product development people, because sometimes you, you're going to work with clients or in organizations that are not 100% or like they don't have a very high design maturity or a culture of understanding design and what it does beyond just the visual aspect. So you'll find yourself sometimes in these tense or conflicts where you're trying to push for something and then they're pushing back because they don't really see the immediate impact in dollar amount. I would say one of the things in my personal career that created some stress and then like I found a way to resolve that conflict in a way is I think communication. If you don't have good communication skills or if you don't have a aligned communication with the other teams it is a very slippery slope to have that stressful encounter with either your pm your project manager or even other teams because it seems like you would feel that you're trying to push for something and they're trying to push for something but there is like a disconnect when it comes to the language. So it doesn't seem like you feel that it's not necessarily like on your side, but at least they understand why you're here and that there is a like a goal or a value of you being in, in the team. So yeah, I would say that th- this is one aspect of it. Not having clear communication between the two parties is something that granted it would create some stress and tension. I think one of the other things that comes to mind is just going out on Fridays to like team drinks is something that really helps. And especially because you are in a leadership position, you do want to start to build a rapport with other team leads and you do want to connect with them also on a personal level. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be best friends, but you just want to 
look more human. And that's something that I felt has made a very big difference because a lot of times people have, um, and th this is my experience, is people have gotten just the right amount of drunk to be like, okay, yeah, this next round's on me. And that just helps you break down those walls. Now, just keep in mind that you want to be professional at these events as well. So you're just trying to... Again, not be best friends, but you're just trying to look more human, look more accessible, look more approachable, so that when things break down out there on the floor, they should be able to come up to you and say, hey, this is what's going on. Let's brainstorm. And that's something that you could possibly look forward to once you're done with socializing, essentially. And like I said, once you find your ally out there on the floor, whom to approach, and you want to do this more friendlier you don't want it to look like okay you haven't done your bit as the dev team i'm gonna go approach so and, and complain to them you just want it to be like okay the dev team didn't understand this so what i'm gonna do is take a step back approach this person now this could be anybody who they've listened to this could even be the dev manager and that's happened in the past where i approached the manager for the dev team and I sit down and I tell them, okay, this is what we had in mind. And these are the changes to the, these particular screens. What would you say would be a feasible approach? And because your ally knows the process already, they're probably going to side with the due diligent process. And it's gonna be a halfway point that's more friendly. And that's more sustainable in terms of you're working with these people for not just one project. Hopefully, you're if you're in the right place, you want to stay there. So you also, as the leadership or a manager, you want to look like your team can approach you to solve a problem within the team. So that's something that you want to keep in mind. And then finally, if things get really bad, and sometimes they do, but let's hope that they don't get to there, you want to take a look at what policies does your company have for this, and that is a mental health check-in. Different companies have different policies. Uh, again, it depends on the maturity, of not just UX, but just maturity of the company of HR policies. And yeah, that's just in case it gets really out of hand, what do you think, Hiba? Has that ever happened? Wow. Yeah, definitely. I've had some times where I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a day off for mental health. I can't do this anymore. I guess this is something that is talked about more and more these days that we should not have to reach that point. However, I feel like also having the awareness of why is this happening? Is this like an internal thing that I'm going through or is it an external? Because sometimes the lines are very blurred. Like for example, from my personal experience, I've had projects that it's not no amount of baths or mental health things that I can do. It would solve the problem because it's just like the workload was 
beyond my the time that I had or the capacity of the team that I was working with. And it was probably in that situation, it was a problem of over-promising because sometimes you work with sales teams who are going to do anything for the client to sign the contract. But at the end of the day, not really, not really understand the impacts of that promise on on the team having the conversation with the in the in that particular example you could take a mental health day but at the same time the problem it could be bigger than that and that's what i'm trying to say with this example that probably would require a more proactive approach such as talking to the sales team explaining why their decisions are they probably gonna will hinder the quality of the project. I feel like the success of this conversation comes from you understanding where they come from too. Because in the instances I was talking with the sales team or like the business director or whomever, they had their own goals too that they needed to accomplish in order for them to pass their performance evaluation. They had like a certain quota or they needed to secure a certain amount of money to keep the team up and running, like not to have to fire anyone because there's not no work or the capacity of full-time people are shrinking. So yeah, definitely the awareness of the policy is very important, but at the same time, being aware of the root of the problem is also something that you need to pay attention to. Yeah, I think... Another thing that because you are in a leadership position, you've already seen these kinds of problems unfold before you got to that leadership position. So chances are you have seen this happen, but you haven't had the opportunity to reflect on where it's coming from, especially when it comes to the other side or the other team, whether it's sales or it's, for me, it's been mostly management or the business analysts and the dev team. And a lot of times, especially in agencies or in smaller product companies as well, I have had to loop in the CEO and the MD and you, and I've had to be very mindful of their time because they are very busy people. Ideally, you don't want it to get to there. Like Hiba said, you really should prepare yourself to educate but in a friendly way, the other team and the other leader, because they are your counterpart and you're essentially, you're all on the same team. And that's something that you want to keep in mind throughout the whole process is that you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to get people to buy your product. Or if you're in an agency, you're trying to get your client to be happy with your work and then in turn, help them sell their product. So you're all on the same team. You're all trying to get to the same goal, but somewhere there is a, a language barrier or a miscommunication that you just want to always take a step back. And I know it's chaos every day, especially with the deadlines that are out there. You really do want to mentally prepare yourself. Take a minute. I like to take a breather in the beginning of the day and just prepare myself. And yeah, like I said, worst case scenario, you do want to do a mental health check-in, but ideally it doesn't get to there. Ideally you have solved your problems before 
it gets really out of hand. So yeah, that just about wraps up what my thoughts are on leadership. Kipa, do you have any concluding thoughts? I'd probably just add one thing about healthy stress. And because sometimes like stress is just a normal byproduct of growth. Having that awareness of the type of stress we're having also helps in identifying the strategies that we need to have or approach in order to lower the stress or manage it. And the point I want to add for leadership is sometimes leadership is not only leading the product to be to the end goal or the roadmap to get the product up and running or ship it. Sometimes a lot of the stress comes from your people skills. So when you become a leader and progress in your career, you probably have to expand on your skills, whether it's like time management skills, people skills, leadership skills. And it is healthy stress because that gives you an indicator that you need to grow and you need to change and expand. So yeah, so don't see that as a, see this, see it as an opportunity, but don't see it as Uh, a means to an end because you're just growing and this is just a sign that there is something that you need to work on in order for you to have a more secure and informative place that you can take your decisions from. I guess that's a very big part that a lot of people don't really uh, realize when they transition into leadership that might cause them stress. Because then you're not only going to be stressed, you're going to stress your subordinates or the people that you're managing because you're stressed. And that kind of trickle, like it has a trickle down effect. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially if sometimes your subordinates reach out to you and they're the ones who are stressed, but it's on you to take it forward and, and dissolve the situation. I think that's a very important point that Hiba brought up. Going to, as a designer or as a UXer, especially if you are just entering the field or if you are a mid-level UXer, I think what I'm seeing a lot and a lot of people are pointing it out to me is that there's so much competition out there. There's just a lot more UXers in the field. There's a lot of designers in the field, a lot of graphic designers switching. In fact, I just spoke to someone today who's in the field of fashion who's switching over to UX. And it is pretty competitive because a lot of people are very proficient with tools. They have a grasp on UI because a lot of them have been designers before. For me, I would say if you're entering the UX field right now, you just want to differentiate yourself by taking a deeper fundamentals course, or you could self-learn what is the theory behind UX. And that's something that I want to put out there as a mentor as well, is that a lot of people are already looking into that. So in addition to your brilliant portfolios, what you want to do is show that you can handle different kinds of projects because you have a solid framework. So that's something that I would say. What about you, Hiba? 
Being like a junior in your journey into becoming a UX designer, it's it's a very rewarding journey. But at the same time, I understand that it could be stressful or there's a lot of unknown. And I agree with Ashima's point that there is like a wave of people transitioning. And I would say the majority there, they have this visual element very strong. But then the differentiation comes into your your kind of full awareness of the projects that you're presenting because as someone like as a manager or a someone in leadership or a recruiter they're going to be looking at your process they're not only going to be doing that they're also going to examine if you're able to carry out the this process and the design decisions because ultimately they don't want to micromanage you they want you to be able to take your own decisions and not run everything by them because at the end of the day they're hiring you to help them not to kind of them hovering over you you might feel that stress when you're getting into that because you just don't know what is it that you need to accomplish in order to position yourself as a valuable um, candidate and especially with the amount of information that we have right now is I understand that could be overwhelming and also um, uh, contributes to the stress. One thing I could say when it comes to that, asking people who have gone before you and reading books, there are pioneers in the whole arena of product development who wrote books about the process from start to finish. And reading that, it, because at least in my own experience, nobody really had an idea of what's going on. Like most of the people I worked with, even if they know, like they're doing it and they know how to do it, they're not, they don't have the capacity to sit you down and explain to you, especially that if you don't know about the product development in the real world, because you can learn a lot of things in a boot camp and in a school, but when it comes to the real world, every company has its own way of doing things. So it is important to reach out to people who have gone before you and to understand how to troubleshoot any situations. If you come to me and I'm going to look at your portfolio, one of, I'm not going to look at your work. Ultimately, I'm going to do, but what, what's important to me is your character. Are you a person who takes initiative or at the slightest inconvenience? I would have to worry about you too. So I guess that's a very, very valuable skill to have, not only to lower your stress, but also to position yourself as a valuable person. Absolutely. I really see that in myself when I'm hiring or when I'm taking a look at portfolios. I do want to see more than just your skills on the tools. I think that's absolutely on the nail. Uh, I think Kiba has a point there. Another thing that I want to talk about is when you are a designer and you've finished a course and you're starting work at a company or an agency, a lot of stress comes from either you have finished a full-fledged course like I did. And my experience after my master's was actually brilliant because I jumped into a much bigger company. They already had a lot of processes in place. But when I switched again, I found that 
I wasn't seeing the process in place. And that was a very big stressor. So I guess it almost blends into something that a design manager would have to deal with. But what do you do if you're not a design manager and you don't actually have a seat at the table? Do you really want to continue there? I guess that's something that you want to ask yourself is if the UX maturity of the company doesn't match what you have learned, is that something you want to, is that a position you want to put yourself in? And another thing, or the flip side of this would be if you haven't really gone through a full-fledged course where you've gone through a self-learning path and you want to look up to a mentor while you're working and you want to learn, you want to essentially learn at your job and you don't have the right mentorship, is that also something that you want to continue with? Have you faced something like this, Hiva? In terms of trying to find a mentor, but outgrowing them? For the flip side, except you're not a manager and you know what the processes are and the UX maturity is very low, but you don't really have a voice and you're just a UX or a junior UX or a junior designer where you're not really allowed to put it out there. Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I have so many stories to tell. Like when I when you asked me that question, I remember two um, um, instances where the first one, I was a junior designer at a big company, their SaaS, so software as a service. And they, even though they're very, they were very big and then they had this team dedicated to this particular software. I was the only UX designer aside with the senior designer, UX designer. So the first thing that I've noticed that guys, like whatever we're doing, this is not UX. Like we we don't even know what the user wants, but in these companies, especially companies who have very high level of security and confidentiality, you can't really talk to users. So they use something called proxy. So most of the things that you're doing are based on what the client thinks the user would think that they want. So it's just so for me, when I was there as a junior designer, that kind of that was against everything I learned in terms of understanding the mental models of the user and having a goal directed design process and all of that. And I remember talking to the team and no one seemed really, I would say they all understood the point, but they were focused on, okay, let's just get these screens done and do the best we can. But Again, it's, it seemed at that point, it was just like a systematic issue. The team did not have much of a say. Even the design leadership, I don't think they would be able to, they wouldn't be able at that time to advocate. And that's a theme in these type of organizations because the UX team is not really hired to co-create. It's hired to just put lipstick on the pig. So that was this instance where I quickly realized, and they actually, when I finished, it was for an internship. And then when they offered me a full-time job, 
I was like, you know what? I love it here and I love the people and everything, but this type of approach, I don't want to be doing things like that for the rest of my life. And I would love to learn more. So I had to take the decision to not accept the offer and to go with design agency, where in that design agency, then now the side is flipped. Because in the design agency, we really focused on the design process, on the research, we did a lot of service design, user research. And it was like, I, it it was like heaven for me, because I got to use a lot of the things that I learned in school when it comes to evidence-based design. But on the flip side, what lacked there is, the, first of all, the um, we worked in a market that was very, the design maturity is very low, that the, that market did not want to, or the norms in that market at that time was to outsource a lot of the product development. So even that we were able to design and execute and ship any software, the cost was not matching to the expectations of the client. So we found ourselves doing the research, gathering all the things necessary to create the product, but then the client would not want to implement it with us. They wanted to outsource it somewhere that's cheaper. And then that created that disconnect where I felt like, okay, but this does not really, it's not a coherent process because at the end of the day, the implementation team, they're just going to override anything that we say because we're not working together. And I tried to talk to not only the client, but also the leadership at that agency. And it seemed like it was not something that similar to the first problem. It was more of like a systemic problem. And I guess another instance where I had a similar approach where a lot of the software was execution or implementation was outsourced. But at the same time, there, there was no user research. And I was brought to do the usability study and to do the user research. But at the end of the day, I guess what I had is that the project, everything that I was finding, like the findings were totally not discrediting, but it went against the current version that this company had. And the amount of resistance that they had to these findings was enormous because To them, we asked you to do user research, and then the user research says that everything that we've done is not working. So you really have to have these skills of talking with them and empathizing and telling them, like, listen, it's a work in progress. That doesn't mean that we have to do all of that at once. Let's do like a prioritization matrix and pick what's important. There is no perfect place because you can work somewhere and then... There is something that they very skilled at, but then they lack in some area. And sometimes it's not only, it's not even the problem of the company or the people that work there. Sometimes it's just a bigger problem and people are just doing the best they could to exist in that ecosystem. But yeah, I feel like it's having a, going back to the proactive quality that just understand what goes beyond 
you and your team and your immediate manager and understand all the motivation and take it as a UX research too, like user research. You're doing all of that research to understand the people around you because if you want to be in a position where you can convince them to do something you have to understand their motivation and their goals that's a, like that that what determines if you're a true ux designer or human centered designer or what or not well that was a lot of nuggets right there and i especially like the way that you said the design team is just hired to put lipstick on the pig I thought that was brilliant and I really liked the analogy. Maybe we'll do like an episode just about that. And that's like a great episode name. But yeah, that brings us to our final lens that you could take a look at this through. And that is, as a freelancer, what stresses you out? Now, I know that a lot of people want to switch to freelancing and that itself stresses a lot of people out and to them now I have freelanced as well and it's definitely not ideal if you're a very systematic person and you're used to having everything in place because you're not going to have clients lined up all the time especially if you are looking at quality over quantity and for me that was something that I really had to spend some time with myself and go down to way below the surface and see if that was something that I'd be okay with. And one of the exercises that I actually ended up doing was taking apart the five whys. And that's essentially just taking a look at why am I doing this? And for me, the first why was simply because I want to be more self-reliant, self-sufficient, and I don't want to have to answer to anyone. And in the ecosystem that I was in, like many of you, I just came back home to India and far be it for me to say that India is not ideal. For some people it is. For me, it wasn't, especially after having worked in the U.S. I felt like freelancing was the best way for me to go. And uh, yeah, from there, I dug way deeper and I found out that there's also great health benefits if I'm freelancing. I don't have to sit in one place for eight hours. And for me, I found that very unnatural when I was an employee to just sit in one desk and a chair for eight hours. And uh, yeah, I really do appreciate my life right now. I do get to get up, stretch, go for a walk, spend some time outdoors, take in some fresh air. I get to make myself fresh meals. And I found that Okay, I didn't know that was one of the reasons that I wanted to do it, but that exercise really brought out a lot. So yeah, so that's actually the first thing that you want to think about when you're going into freelancing. Kiba, have you had any situations where you had freelance projects and you felt stressed? Yeah, to your point, freelancing is awesome when you know your process and yourself because it gives you that freedom. But when it comes to a stress, I remember that majority of my stress when I used to do like freelance projects came from client relationships and management because the client wants to create this enormous thing um, for a very low amount of dollars and it was just like the back and forth the them managing my hours and all of that so I guess it's this kind of for me it was 
not the design process itself and the actual technical work as much as if it was the my interactions with the client and because some clients that they would think that if you're a freelancer then they have an overhaul over your time and then they could say anything or ask for anything or negotiate to very low points and not also that but they fit some clients not all because at the end of the day when you're working as a freelancer you want to have a position where you're you have quality clients remember some of the stressful situations where clients think some clients thinking that because I'm a freelancer and not represented by a company that they don't need my professional input like it's I'm paying you to do what I want and not really what they're not paying you for your expertise and it is definitely a stressful situation because it, Now, as a freelancer, in terms of managing a business, if I say no to this client, then my bottom line is going to be shaken. To the bigger topic of stress, that gives you a better idea. Like, what is this telling you? If this is telling me that I'm working with people who are not hiring me for expertise, they're just hiring me to do something, and then do I want to do this? It is stressing me out, but do I need, is this where I imagine myself to be? Are these the type of clients that I want to work with? So this type of stress ignites these questions and the desire to enhance the situation or improve the freelancing experience in general. But yeah, freelancing is awesome, but some people really forget that it's also managing a business. Absolutely. And that actually brings me to my next point, which is, saying no to clients or potential clients, because there's been so many instances where I felt like, okay, you know what? I filtered this client and I know that they're definitely a startup, but they're well-funded and the owner or the co-founder knows their bit because they've also founded these other products. And so I felt, okay, you know what? I've done my bit and I filtered them out, but I've also seen that after filtering them out, I'm seeing that this is how they expect things to be. So I think that you do want to spend some time and create a questionnaire for your clients when you're meeting with them for the first few rounds of your pre-sales. And I want to see how they envision the workflow going. And I think that That's something that would really help during the process of design. There's been times that I filtered clients to the point that I felt like, you know what, even after six to eight calls of at least an hour each, I just go, you know what, something feels off. And now I feel like I have to say no, even though it seems like such a great opportunity and it seems like such a great market space that I would love to tie myself to. I felt, okay, you know what? I don't think that I want to pursue this anymore. And yeah, that's something that you have to brace yourself for as well. So yeah, great point, Hiba, on how do clients manage and how do they expect the workflow to go? I think that's very important. 
we've said a lot of things, but they are potential areas that we can dive deeper into them. If there is anything that you heard us talking about today and you'd like us to elaborate more on or dig deeper, this is just a, like a surface level conversation and these situations are very complex it's not only because sometimes we tend to say that the problem is like in the company the problem is in the um, manager or other teams and all of that but at the end of the day we might forget that we're part of the problem too so what is it that we are doing that it's causing us to to have that level of stress are we not paying attention to our lives are you eating right are you sleeping are you doing all these kind of hygiene things be like outside of the office because if you're not sleeping you're not going to have a good day at work if you're not eating right you're not going to be able to concentrate so true that it is very important to discuss the stress within the workplace but at the same time we tend to overlook or ignore other aspects of ourselves because we're very multidimensional and there's so much that goes on in our lives that we might not think it's impacting our work life, but it definitely is. Ashima and I are very kind of wellness oriented. We love to talk about yeah, all of your wellness. Yeah, so if this is something that interests you and you want us to share our wellness tips as Xers and as designers and in general and how that impacted our design career, let us know. But that's what I have to say for today. Yeah, I think that's great because that brings us back to where we started from, where I said that we're at a time where everyone's working on a bunch of things in their career, in their personal lives their physical health now that our awareness is growing almost as a human race altogether we're starting to unlearn a lot of mindsets that were toxic and wrong and that really just boils down to you knowing your values and the more in tune you are with your values the less you tend to be stressed out in general and it doesn't necessarily have to be just about work but that definitely takes a lot of distress out of your daily life. So you can start to actually focus on just your career and just your work and just that particular situation that is stressing you out. Tune in to our next episode where we talk about values. And yeah, we hope that you really enjoyed this. And keep us said, let us know if you want us to talk more about health and well-being. Thank you guys for listening and see you next time.